What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another searing hot episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter. This is the Screenwriting Podcast. That's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Wow, Monday, September 18th. It has been quite a week. A lot of scab news going on in the WGA. We got Drew Barrymore rebooting her show, Bill Maher rebooting his show. But you know what? I actually just read, I, I had a lot of hot takes about all this, but I actually just read this morning that both of them have said, actually, we're not going to do that. I saw her crying video on Instagram, and I think she was uh, shamed enough into realizing it was a bad idea. I don't understand why any of the people that are paid to like represent her and guide and manage her career didn't tell her, like, maybe don't do this. And I totally understand, like, you want to help your crew members, but there's also like a hundred thousand people out marching in the sun to better everyone's lives, you know, not just the hundred or thirty so people on your crew. Um, but hey, I guess uh, I guess picketing works because all have stopped uh, their their productions again and are saying we're going to delay. Um, so hopefully we can get this thing resolved. Uh, the WGA and the AMPTP are going to get back together on Wednesday. I truly think if we got them in a room, writer's room style, and we were like, guys, you can have whatever you want for lunch. Anything, let's just ply you full of Starbursts, Twizzlers, Red Vines. You guys can step out and have marijuana breaks if you want. That's how we got to get a deal done. That's what we need to do, writer's room tactics. Um, it, it would be great. And speaking of being great, I got Dan Hernandez and Benji Sambit on the podcast today, and I am so excited to talk with them. You know, they actually, I, I went to high school with Benji and I met Dan and sort of became friendly with them because they started doing this great thing uh, a few years ago where they would say, if you are a WGA writer of any shape, size, TV, movies, shorts, whatever you do, uh, we're going to be hosting uh, these like get to know you get together dinners at a funny, shitty restaurant change like a Chili's. I think the first one I went to was a soup plantation. They've done a Shakey's pizza and everyone gets to know each other. And it's a really nice way to build a, a sense of writer community. And on one of those, uh, I think I got to know Dan and he was into Steely Dan and Batman and all this other dorky shit that I love. Um, and so we just sort of hit it off. Um, and since then, Dan and Benji have had quite a career. They have written movies like Detective Pikachu, The Addams Family 2, the animated movie, the brand new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. They've written on shows like 1600 Pen. They show ran Koala Man on Hulu. They are up to some really cool shit. And I think the great thing to take away from this episode, aside from all the inside hot goss uh, of Ninja Turtles, uh, is resiliency. Uh, because what they talk about is how you turn your failures and your tragic moments of thinking like you just blew it and shit the bed into moments of triumph. Because if you're a good person and you do good work, even if you don't get the job, years later people will remember you and you may be able to turn those turds into diamonds. So having said that, I want you to sit back, relax, kick your feet up on the lazy boy or lazy girl. It is 2023. And enjoy yourself on a brand new episode of Write Who You Know. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and get some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell them write who you know. Maddie Healy is not going to be on 1989 Taylor's version. Oh, mm. uh, what? Are you? A, I just got an alert that said that. Are you? A, do you get like Swift news and updates? I get all sorts of updates. Okay. Yes, the answer is yes. I'm. I are you not a Swifty? Do you not? Support? No, I like Swifty. I I, I like <laughs> you like Swifty. I like the Swifty. 
Uh, but? But I'm not Benji. I'm not at, at a level of, like, a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of fandom that Benji is at. There's nothing to be ashamed of, Benji. I'm a huge fan myself. I'm a bigger fan. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's what I wanted to do. This start with, because my I was very anti until I started dating my wife, and she's like, "You're mm-hmm. actually stupid." She writes wonderful songs. Like yeah. you're being an asshole. This is red. Listen to it. And I was like, "Oh, this is much better than you know the one single that I know from the radio." What brought you to discover and love Taylor? I've been I've been on the Taylor train. Since before her debut album. Go on. How, how's that and possible? Like her first single on the radio. I heard it and I was into it. And then the album came out. I liked it. And I was I was at the Fearless tour. Like So uh, like 20 years? Like you've been in I've it. been in it since 2006. So yeah. does it annoy you that all of the fandomonium for Taylor, do you feel sort of like... You know when no, you like a band and then everyone else likes it and you're like, I was here before you? I, I, there's a little bit of that, but it's also just like, I'm happy that, that you know, you want people to like the things you like. That's true. And uh, Dan, I feel like, do you have an opinion on any of this? I my, my opinion is that she's an amazing songwriter and she's fantastic. And her show was, I did feel like I was living history when I inherited Benji's tickets because he got better tickets. So suddenly I got to go to Eras, which was awesome. But I will say this. Taylor liked one of my tweets. Um, and there's no no one can take it back. No one can make it un, un, undo it. What was the tweet? When the first single of, I forget which Taylor's version song it was. Well, it wasn't. It was, it was when the... It was not a single. Was it was just that. when, when Fearless Taylor's version came dropped. out. Yeah, when it dropped. I said I think I thought it was better than the studio version, and all of a sudden I started getting all of these alerts on my phone, and I was like, "What am I? Am I in trouble in some way?" And it, <laughs> and it turned out that she had liked the tweet, and because all of her obsessive fans know when she does anything online, then they started liking the tweet, and it it became a. It was a real highlight. It was a real moment for me. Uh, I, I, I felt like I had been sort of blessed by the gods for a moment. I, I felt the sunshine in my life, and then everything after that has been chasing that feeling. So I, I actually think she's fantastic. I love her. But I, I went to the Counting Crows concert the other night. Where was this? Name drop. I have other <laughs> questions. Where was it? It was at the YouTube Theater at SoFi, which actually was an incredible venue that I really, really liked. I had never been there. And I really like the song The One on Folklore by Taylor. And sure enough, Duritz, sex god that he is, does a full cover of The One by Taylor Swift on the piano before he transitions into a long December. And the crowd went wild and the grandmas started swaying. And it was like a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment for all of us. Is your favorite Counting Crow song Mr. Jones? It can't be. I no, feel like you've got no, deep cuts. No. Well, I think some context is important. My wife's favorite band is Counting Crow, so okay. not like, unlike your wife. Um, she introduced me to Counting Crows, but I, mine was like maybe like a little bit more. There was some strategy going on, which is this was before we were dating, and I realized I had to study Counting Crows in order to like court her, uh, which I did. You started. With, you had. I needed dreads. You know, you got a little I didn't goatee. Quite go, I didn't quite go that far. Although my hair is. I mean, I. I don't. I, I wouldn't say like. I feel like there's a. 
I'm like five degrees of separation from Duritz and look. <laughs> I feel like there is like a familial... A friend, maybe a friend from Magic. A fr- or Dungeons and Dragons, I should say. I, I feel... Oh, no, I know people who know him personally, for sure. I'm I'm like one degree... I'm like one degree at most away from the dirts. Also, I got my wife a cameo from him for her birthday, which bought me about six months of just good feeling. That's and, incredible. And, and he was also awesome in the thing. But I sort of said... So my what is my favorite kind of curse song? Uh, it would probably be some deep cut off of like Desert Life or... or uh, recovering the satellites or something so because i some somehow like i of this band that i sort of very i wouldn't say cynically but sort of like pointedly started to get into like i've now seen them like five times live because she it's her absolute favorite so um i guess what i'm trying to say is i can play the long game i can play the long (laughs) game as well as anyone uh well speaking of the long game let me take you guys back i want to know uh you guys met at brown yes we did were you roommates hallmates how did you what was your first like Mm -hmm. meet cute uh we were not we we both did theater um but for years it was always like the thing of like i was in one show while he was working on another show and this and And so we never spoke to each other until junior year college junior year even though we knew of each other i'd see him from across a party (laughs) (laughs) passing ships who is that Tall man in the tight jeans mm-hmm. with plenty to fill them. <laughs> yep. That was my inner monologue. I never told you that. Who who approached who first? <laughs> well, actually, so we were both working on a play. I was acting in the play, and Benji was, was doing the uh, sort of technical tech. directing. Sound, sound design? I don't know. By the way, Benji, did you do that in high school? Because I feel like you may have been in one of my tech classes with that guy, Jeff, whatever the hell is. Yeah. Is. Yeah, I did. I did. A I lot mean, of stage A lot, lot of tech and, and acting in high school and college and yeah okay so back to you guys are meeting i feel like you sort of like subtly revealed that you went to high school with benji but like i feel like oh should i tell i I feel like we have to disclose we have to disclose that i went to high school with benji Mm -hmm. i also his brother danny Mm -hmm. what else do i need to disclose I think that's it. That was okay. Good. Okay, that was good. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> good, good, good. I think he did it. Okay. okay. Now, so I just don't want any accusations after totally. the fact. Totally. That we got unfair treatment <laughs> on the pod. You know, like softballs. Um, so there we were in this play, and the play they decided to fill the black box theater with a bunch of water, like 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 it, was it took set. place in the swamps yeah. of Florida, and they had the idea of what if we just put down a tarp and fill it with water. And they left it sitting in the still theater. water, still water. So it it started to like grow weird things. It started to attract a ton of bugs. It rotted the floor of the theater. I mean, there were lighting cables running right next to it. It was extremely dangerous. It was a life threatening setup. And so the day that the show ended, they were like, "All right, everybody, it's time to strike the set." And for those who don't know, striking the set is like when you tear everything down and get you know put the theater back to the way it was. And I just looked at this like fetid water and I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. And so in a moment of cowardice, I guess you might say, I was like, I need to hide. I need to find somewhere to hide where they can't make me work with this water. And I picked the lighting booth. And who should I find in the lighting booth also hiding? Well, I had a lot to strike up there after (laughs) finishing the tech for the show. The the cues. Yeah, just papers and gels. Lots of papers. uh, CDs and (laughs) so many gels. And there he was. And we had sort of been making eye contact throughout this process going, oh my gosh, what did we get ourselves into? But that was actually the first time that we 
had a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And so I sold, I stole us a pizza. That was that was wrong. I, I apologize to the people at Brown. I mean, the pizzas were for everyone who worked on it, and That's we true. needed one. That's so. true. That's true. You know what? I, I take my apology. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't apologize. I'm not repentant. I don't care at all. Um, I stole a pizza. And Benji and I enjoyed a, a nice pizza, and we got to know each other, mm-hmm. and and it was hours know. beautiful, beautiful bonding. And was it truly like you guys knew, like, oh, we have a lot of the same similar interests? Like, what? Yeah, what we, was, like, we clicked pretty instantly. We, we clicked then, pretty instantly. I, I would say, honestly, faster than anyone I've and, ever met. And in then, my life. and then there was a at Brown a, in one of the dorms. There was like a late night cafeteria. Um, and Dan used to hold court there every night. I like I to lo- hold court. I love that he held court. And so it it became a well every night I gotta go hang out at eleven PM with, with Dan at, at, at Joe's. Everyone knew at eleven Dan was having office hours <laughs> at the, at the, with his like chicken cut like fried double chicken cutlet mm-hmm. and fries, which, you know, maybe in retrospect I should have eased up on the chicken cutlets, but Actually, they are really good. Mm. I would, I would love. We them. were young. Shouts to Brown and Joe. Yeah, shout out to Joe's. <laughs> shout out to Josiah Carberry's. Um. So yeah. So I mean, it was just yeah. We clicked, and then we were pretty close from then forward. And you know, our senior year, um, sort of what Brown has for theater people, it's not a thesis really, but it's sort of like the the de facto theater thesis is people write and. Uh, star in their own hour-long solo shows wow. and uh, and so we were both in that class and then you sort of get paired up with one other person in the class to be like your spotter almost like you help direct their show they direct your show you work on the shows together so you don't just like go completely insane working on something by yourself for six months it was a ranked choice vote and we we rigged the vote. We did rig the make vote. It again, to, I apologize to, to the chair. Sure. <laughs> Actually, again, I don't apologize. I have no regrets. I did the right thing. We rigged the vote but, to become each other's partners. And um, um, no, there were other wonderful people in the class. Uh, friend, friend of this podcast, Chris Bremner. Chris Bremner yeah, was, he was the one who told me he was, you guys were in his friend of the pod, class. Chris Bremner. Yes. A, 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 a scholar, a saint, a seeker of intensity, and, and just an all-around good guy so wait what were your guys final because he told me what his was what were your guys final performances um my show was a a theatrical magic show uh because i am a magician uh but you know i played a character who was a magician who uh in he's like a big tv magician who's been doing it for years and then uh he gets a call from his agent Who's like? It's over. It's over. It's basically like in this world. Hey, reality TV. People only care about what's real. Magic is out, uh, and so he sort of loses everything and has to rediscover his love for magic. But it was really. I mean, the the story was was very. It was basically just like, how many cool tricks could I fit into one show? Yeah, we. <laughs> and I was his beautiful assistant. And I had to be sworn into the magic. Yeah, Dan had to learn some of the secrets. I had to learn some of the secrets of magic and swear never to reveal them. That's actually very interesting that 
you let Dan in on the process uh, at this point in your relationship because I feel like magic is something where it's like you never tell anyone or, you know, I have to kill you. And you were very trusting. You have to trust your production team. That's very true. Yeah. And we did some really, we did, Benji did a pretty amazing levitation at the end of this play yeah. that still people will mention from time to time that people were there. They're like, how did Benji float in, the- <laughs> in a tiny black box theater? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, metamorphosis, levitation, what did you do? And now that's been... Yeah. You know, we're, we're literally... Harry Houdini lives. Did you, you? There's a statue of him as you turn left yeah, up here. Yeah, you guys yeah. know his mansion is right down oh, the yeah. way. I've always been curious about that house. Me too. Like, Me too. what hidden rooms are in there? I know. And what was your uh, performance, Dan? Uh, my show was called The Macho Society of America, and it was a based on... There is a real... I think it's a Brazilian club, or it used to be, that elected a macho of the year. So, for instance, the year that Bill Clinton was in the Lewinsky scandal, he was their macho of the year for mm-hmm. commitment to the macho lifestyle in spite it. of all consequences. I think I get it. Um, and so this was about the American branch of that club. Uh, but all of the characters were extremely un-macho, and it was sort of an exploration of, like, what is masculinity and machismo and and how is it defined and it what was are we... a filthy filthy it was show. a filthy filthy show that that caused uh i was told that it was going to stop donation to the brown theater department because it was so vile and so filthy which of course only caused me to redouble the filthiness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Du- and just that's be like, when you added in yeah the giant dan had a fight scene against himself uh with the weapon being a giant dildo and spray painted gold yes <laughs> Because it was a trophy. That was Symbolism. the macho. That was the macho of the. Year that trophy. was a fun day when Dan and I went to this CD Providence sex shop and we said, "What's your largest dildo, sir?" And they would show us, and we'd go, "We need bigger. We need bigger. <laughs> What's in the back? What's in the back?" And we finally settled on a dildo that had a name, and its name was Dick Rambone. And Dick Rambone was like, I think I still have Dick Rambone somewhere in my storage I, I, unit. I'm pretty sure. It it's could wild, be a sponsor bro. for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, maybe we can get a sponsor. <laughs> Dick Rambone. Shout out <laughs> to Dick Rambone. This brought to you by. Uh, and Dick Rambone was like a, it was like a 14-inch dildo, but like very lifelike with veins, cock, you know, very beautiful. And, <laughs> and it had a suction cup. And so we spray painted it gold and it lived on the wall of my dorm room senior year for like many, like most of the year. Dick Rambone had a yeah. place of honor in the... In the room, and so I did have a fight scene against myself, uh, set to the Star Trek fight music from a mock time. Incredible! Uh, so it was pretty, you know. Um, the Brown Theater Department survived somehow. And how are yeah. you guys graded? Like just pass fail, or like do they yes. call you and they're like Dan? We loved it. We had problems with the Dick Rambone fight. I had a huge falling out with our professor. Like we were very close, and then, oh, really? and then we were not subsequently. They tried to suppress you. They tried to suppress me. They tried to suppress me, and it was you know. Whatever. And meanwhile, people are raving yeah, about Benji's day, levitation. Yes. Surprise, yes. Benji kept writing with you after this. That's a true <laughs> friend. He he he's a magic man. But but say? yeah, essentially, by the time we went through senior year and we're working on these shows, and I mean, it was just like we were so creatively in sync working together that like we knew we wanted to keep doing it. I would also say that a lot of the other teams partnerships from the other solo shows by the end never wanted to see each other again because it, when you're were i mean the class met i think four times a week and we were with each other every day 
for months and months and months. And I think that we were one of the only teams that really was like, we're having fun. We're still having fun. Mm-hmm. We're having fun throughout this entire process. And then when it was over, it was a, I was moving to New York to do acting and fiction writing, which is actually what my degree is in fiction, which I thought I was going to be doing, you know, Stephen King yeah. type stuff at this point. But because I, I had always been interested in screenwriting, but it felt like this sort of nebulous thing that I was like, I guess people do do that, but how does one do that? Benji and being it, from... Yeah, being from here, you know, as you know, it's just like, it's it's not as... Because they went to high school. That's an important <laughs> disclosure. That's why he said that, as you know, because they they grew... Anyway. It's just we're, we... I think, Matt, you and I were privileged enough to know, like, it's... It, wasn't as foreign yeah. of a of a world or concept like it was just like oh yeah i just i moved back in with my mom and then suddenly i was in la trying to to do it and i uh slowly but surely convinced dan to uh to sell out it his... didn't take that much convincing <laughs> to get me to sell out it was like hey you should sell out okay that was about the extent did of benji the... was there a grand gesture or was it just like dude dan like what are you doing get the fuck out here i mean at first when we had nothing going on, we could just write while he was in New York and I was in it. Like we could just email files back and forth and, you know, let's write a movie. Let's, let's write a pilot. And Dan didn't need to be here. Um, eventually as our stuff started, you know, getting out there and getting seen and noticed and we had an agent and this and that, that Dan started coming out more, taking meetings, um, you know, and then it eventually got to the point where I think Dan's last year that he lived in New York, he was actually in L.A. living with me for more of the year. And not just Benji, his mom, too. <laughs> so now, it was the three now, of us in Tarzana just, just beautiful, beautiful, making it happen. Beautiful life. And where was Dick Rambone during this time? Dick, in your storage Dick unit? Dick Rambone at that time was in Florida. Um <laughs> That's another podcast. How did that thing get to Florida? <laughs> Dick Rambone. That's a narrative <laughs> podcast over on The Ringer. Dick Dick Rambone was a is a folk hero. There are people li- who would be listening right now that'd be like, "I remember Dick." Rambone. Yeah, of course. I, oh, uh, you know they. Someday the story will be. T- you know the someday the he'll he'll make a reappearance. But I, I I wonder I wonder if Dick Rambone is is copyrighted. I guess we can't probably use it. But I'll look it up after. But we'll you know. see if it's still in in production. Dick Rambone <laughs> eventually turned green. Because of some kind of oxidation, <laughs> so it's it it's, it's like still, the Statue of Liberty. It's it is it is a vile document, a vile testament to a past best forgotten. But I can't bring myself to throw it away. Now, Benji, you mentioned something that everybody wants to know that is listening to this uh, that wants to be a writer. You said, "Yeah, we got noticed and we got an agent." How did you guys get your first agent? Or, you know, r- it's it's one of those like, you know who you know sort of stories where you know i had a family friend who was friends with a small agent who uh you know i took a meeting like it was just like you know like oh these guys you know just graduated from college meet meet with them like uh and it was just like a hey this town is a is a tough place good luck kid but then like gave him a script and he liked it and I was like hey let's let's try and do something and you know that we were very lucky that that we got an agent were you pretty thrilled? quickly yeah were you like we did it 
Oh yeah. I feel like so many people feel like that's like step one. No, you feel like that's it. Yeah. Now, now they just do it. And yeah. you, but no, there's it. It took it took many more years from the time getting the agent to actually getting paid work. Um, yeah, it was not an an overnight thing. Is your agent then still your agent now? No. Okay. What? So you guys are writing pilots or screen, movies first. Like, what's the like the first thing where you guys are like proud to send this out and be like, this is a Dan and Benji joint. We first started writing movies. Um, our first sort of script that got attention that went, you know, when it went out, it was uh, we wrote a movie called The Harvard Zombie Massacre, and it was it was a zombie movie that took place at Harvard, and the twist was that the zombies were a little smarter because they went to Harvard. The science checks out if you <laughs> if you sort of explore so, it. We, we so our little tagline was neurologists, was, cognitive was scientists. America's greatest minds versus, or Amer- America's smartest minds versus America's smartest zombies. Um, and, you know, it got, it went wide. It got a little, ta- we got a bunch of meetings. It got optioned. Oh, uh, you must have been thrilled, though. Yeah, we were thrilled. You know, we we were so young and did not. Yeah, we fully... didn't. I think we didn't fully understand. Like it did feel like, okay, we're in, and you know, subsequent... right, there was an article in Variety. No shit. Yeah, Ty- 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 Tyro scribes Dan and Benji. That's that was the quote. Yeah, I never heard the word Tyro. Yeah, what does Tyro mean? I guess it's like a fledgling from the Greek that <laughs> only Variety uses that word to this day. I guess or like at the time, but... they they like those weird words like yes. prexy. It's like why don't you just say president, dickhead? They they just like their little Variety yeah. lingo. I can yeah. only Your think scribes. of the, the Animaniacs song. Yeah, variety speak. Variety speak, but yeah. So we got some variety speak, and um, you know, and that led to also we got our first like our first WGA gig came out of that, which was we got hired by to to write a a straight to to video like movie for MGM at the time when they were still making straight to DVD th- but they never made it like hey, I'm so glad they never made it it's <laughs> such a relief that they did not make this movie but this that was our first time getting paid to write but we something. did get paid and we did get to be associate members of the WGA mm-hmm. the only problem with that well there were a lot of problems with that movie including the fact that I had no idea what we're doing but but they did keep asking <laughs> they just kept wanting us to add more sex more scenes. sex scenes and okay. it was and by the way like it wasn't even a comedy it was like a remake of that movie Bad Influence, which from the eighties with Rob, Rob Lowe, Lowe, where he is in fact a bad influence on mm-hmm. who is he a bad influence on? Is it James James Spader? Spader yeah, I think. yeah. He's a bad he is a bad influence on James Spader. Spoiler alert. And um did you have to be like, look, I'm not saying that like I'm not look, obviously we're not telling you to like put a shower scene in here, but well maybe. You know, it was like a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. Like they they themselves recognized the the grossness of what they were asking. I, and I believe right after we did this, MGM went bankrupt. Probably uh, because probably they paid because. us. That yeah. was... Probably they they realized they shouldn't be wasting their money. Yes, uh, doing that. But it was a good you know it was a good way to sort of get used to the notes process, to get used to rewriting, to do something like that was a little bit professional, to make a little bit of money. It felt like a huge deal at the time. And at that point, we were still only working on movies. We had a bunch of other movie spec scripts and taking meetings on movies and, you know, uh, but we were getting a little frustrated that like 
nothing big was happening. And I think, you know, we, our agent or someone was like, well, have you thought about TV? And we were like, yeah, we like TV. Yeah, TV's Let's, great. TV's cool. And so then we sort of shifted our focus a little bit into we never forgot about movies completely obviously we're yeah. we're still you know doing both but um we were like let's write a pilot let's I mean, write a few pilots and and get them out there and e- see what we can do even now it is extremely difficult to write an original screenplay and have it go all the way to the finish line you know it's just it it's nearly impossible it's nearly impossible and so we felt at a certain point that at least in TV there was a little bit more of a path even if it was like a sort of a circuitous path that was, you know, filled with traps and things, but, yeah. but still like there, there was, were, there were more jobs, there than, were more jobs yeah. and there was more of a, like, this is what you do. If you want to be a TV writer, where in movies, it often just felt like luck, uh, yeah. skill, uh, who knows what is, you know, going to ultimately pay off. And so we started, we, we wrote an original pilot called uninsured. Mm-hmm. And it was about, Two guys like ourselves. It's funny that I it took so long to remember what it was called. <laughs> well, you have written a lot. We've written a lot of since then. Pilots, yeah. But yeah, it was called Uninsured. And it was about basically us in our lives at that moment. Benji's brother, who you went to high school with as well. Disclosure. Uh-huh. Yep, disclose. Um, no, we, we fully did the like. He was a character. Write what you know. And just like, how can we authentically show our voices? Let's just write a pilot about us. And we did write a lot of our inside jokes and mm-hmm. a lot of our sort of. I think that when you have a really close friend, you do sort of fall into like uh, a linguistic yeah. patterns where, yeah. you know, you, you have I, shorthand and things and like I that. Think, and we just put all of that in the script. And I think I think that is what sort of jumped off the page for some people reading it. It was just like it felt real. Um, it wasn't us, you know, trying to be something we weren't. Um, and that got a lot of attention that was the thing that really started to get us a lot of attention and then around that same time someone was like you should write a spec of some show just you know we we're like okay so we wrote a 30 rock spec and i don't know exactly what the process was but the people at broadway video did read the 30 rock spec and they really liked it and so they had us and then the um david minor who was the executive producer of that show who's a you know, he's manager. a man, huge manager, and he's really been very cool to us over the course of our careers. But he read Uninsured. And so between those two scripts, we got a showrunner meeting on 30 Rock with oh, wow. Robert Carlock. Wow. Now, we were... That was our first, first showrunner, showrunner meeting. meeting. So it was like, and it was for 30 it was, Rock. And yeah, it was it a tough was, one. When and you we, say and t- we were babies. Well, it was <laughs> tough for a couple of reasons. One, we had never done it before. Right. We had never had a showrunner meeting. Two... Um, I was in New York and I got a call that was like, you need to be in LA tomorrow by noon. And I was like, but doesn't 30 Rock shoot in Queens? They're like, yes, but this meeting is in LA. So, <laughs> I love that you were like, but uh, guys, well, just, well, I, just because, because at that time I was like, I, no, I'm you're right. have to spend like, you know, $1,500 that I definitely, that I didn't did, even think about. Didn't I didn't have. even think about the price. And, yeah. Got it. You know, so they were like, fly yourselves out. They were here. like, fly yeah. yourself out here by tomorrow if you want to have this meeting. And, and, you know, I was, it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't really have the money, but I said, I'm going to obviously regret it if I don't just do it. So we did it. And Benji picked me up at the airport and we went and meet, we first, we went to Mulberry Pizza mm. on Ventura Boulevard on Beverly. Oh, you went to Beverly Hills once. And then we walked over to Three Arts, which is down the street. And, 
and we had this meeting with David, who was you know awesome, and and then he passed us along to Robert, and then that that meeting was really tough because we had never done it before. Um, in retrospect, we learned the person because I'm Cuban, right? So I think this is an important part of the story. Is that part of the reason that we were getting read in a lot of places for television is because we as a team qualified as a diversity candidate for the diversity writing programs uh, because I'm Cuban and. I have a lot of mixed and different feelings about that, but I think it's important to say, like, probably us with our small agent at the time, would it, we got read places that we probably would not have gotten read other than than that. So, but also we ultimately learned the person that had left 30 Rock was Donald Glover, and they were looking for someone to replace Donald Glover. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you and so Benji we were. show up. So then Benji, like, right? So then yeah. we show up, and and we had a great meeting with Robert. It was really good, but we ultimately did not get that job, but. Can I ask you some questions about the meeting? Yeah, sure. Only, I just want to know, like, because you said it was your first one, and you felt unprepared, just like in terms of what they might ask, or he's just an intimidating writer, or, you know, I like... I think it was all of those things. I think that we, you know, it's rare in your life that you can correctly assess a moment where, like, if this goes well, my entire life is different. So there was yeah. that sort of I think pressure. there were a lot of our early show... I mean, because going from 30 Rock, what ended up happening is... is uh, we didn't get that job, but David Miner like gave a heads up to NBC, like these guys are are good, and you know keep them in mind. And so we met with everyone. And he at wasn't NBC. even our manager. He did that to be nice. So right. shout out to David Miner. And now we are at Three Arts with Ollie Opes, super manager. You know the the yeah. You know we just at, had another Ollie Opes client last week, well, Dave Chernin. Everyone, every everything's coming up. Ollie Ollie Opes is the best. He's the man. But but the reason we're even with. Three Arts is because David sent very generously sent this email on our behalf to NBC and was like, you should really be aware of these, yeah. these and guys. So, and so from there, you know, we met on a bunch of NBC shows. We met on The Office. We met on Parks and Rec. We met on Community. Community. Holy shit. Like right at the start of the a office. lot of these things. Yeah, The Office. And, and we didn't Not get any of those, those jobs. jobs. Uh, but eventually our first job was an NBC job. 1600 you know, And we'll, we'll get to that. But like yeah. these first, a lot of these early showrunner meetings that we did not get, I think... There was an element like we were young and like with these brilliant writers and sometimes they would ask questions of like, you know, uh, how how would you save the show? How would you fix this? How would you do? And yeah, when Greg Daniels and, says, how would you save the show or Mike Schur, which is a real thing that happened and you're 24 and you have no fucking idea. And, you, you know, know it's, it's, it's easy it, to quickly like go into like. No, it's it's good. It's good. I love it. like you want to like compliment the, the show episode, that you're that the you're first meeting six on. episodes of Parks and and, and that's you know now being a showrunner like I know like that's not what you're looking for when you're you know you don't want someone that's just gonna like kiss your ass about yeah. everything. I think we were a little bit too happy to be there. Yeah. Um. At the beginning and after specifically that Parks and Rec meeting where I felt like. We kind of, I wouldn't say blew it, but I say that we learned a lesson. And the lesson was don't equivocate and don't like be like, no, it's fine. You know, I, I obviously Parks and Rec, I don't think I need to like spare Parks and Rec's feelings. I yeah. think everyone feels like the first six episodes were kind of not. I never made it past those. Right. Well, you know, so. Frankly. And everyone's like, yeah. why don't you watch Parks and Rec? And I'm like, because I, I did. Like, I did. And it's interesting to hear you say that, that it then gets much better. So maybe I'll dive they back completely in. Well, change I think the that they are the show. good yeah. enough writers that they assess, like, eh, there's something that's not working here. And they really were looking for people to help them fix it. And yeah. when we were like, it's fine. They were like, well, that's not helpful to us. So goodbye. So, and, and they were correct. 
to do that. Yeah. But we eventually learned that lesson. And after that meeting, we were like, you know what? We're not going to ever and bullshit again. Right. And so then, you know, in our 1600 pen uh, meeting, a moment like that happened and we played it differently. Uh, yeah. I mean, John Lovett, who is now one of our best friends, but at the friend time, friend of the pod, friend of the pod, the ultimate friend of the pod. We were OG Boss friends of, the pod, of yeah. that particular pod, but yes. Um, but friend of the pod, John Lovett, friend of, of Hernandez and Samet, John Lovett now was not a friend of Hernandez and Samet at that time because, because we were friends with Josh Gad, who was a star of the show. And it, it's always weird when it's like Josh had sort of, brought us into that process and so well, and, yeah love it was like i don't want a, a, a spy from the actor in the writer's room and you know uh so we sort of had to prove to him like he won't well, he he definitely came in hot in our which in our meeting was with him. surprised no one who knows john but he came in very aggro about our you know he friendship he, uh, with, well with no Gap. just about like the pilot itself he was like we he sat did, down in this meeting with him and and there was like no small talk, like very brief pleasantry. We sat down. He says, so what's the worst thing about the pilot? That was his first question. And and <laughs> someone else in the meeting who is, you know, sort of a more diplomatic person was like, well, I think what he means is, and John goes, no, no, I want an answer. This is the first 30 seconds of our meeting. Oh, my God. But because we had had this experience with, with Greg Daniels and Mike Sure, we were like, you know what? Let her rip. And so we told him what we felt was the worst part of that pilot. And he thought about it for a second. And he goes, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that was the moment that we, that we got the job. Got the job. Yeah. And that was really the beginning of sort of the, the, the real part. This, of, you know, our career mm-hmm. really blossomed from that moment. I kind of have chills. Uh, <laughs> I really do from that moment. When did you know you got that job? Did he tell you after you said, like, well, this is the thing I would fix? He was like, you're hired. No. It but was, it was shortly it was, thereafter. Yeah, it was, like, pretty soon after we left the meeting. I we, think. we got yeah. it. And, and similarly, one of the people that we had been put in touch with via David Miner from that 30 Rock experience called us shortly thereafter, and, and it was like, yeah, it's done. You, you got it. And so it's a, good, it's a good lesson in that sometimes things that feel like failures – actually are building blocks toward future success and i know that that probably sounds like a very pat sort of banal no you know whatever aphorism but but it is it, in our case it really I, i've seen it happen i've seen it be like i was depressed for six months after the 30 rock interview because i just it just felt like one of those magical things that was like gonna happen be here in la tomorrow you know that kind of stuff and yeah. then it didn't and it was really hard. It was really hard. But in retrospect, without that meeting and without David being so kind to us, we wouldn't have been in touch with these NBC people and we wouldn't have been in the mix on these other shows. And so then when you know, was- that's I mean, we we have a lot of like things in our career that we can look back on. And like in the moment, it was, you know, one of the worst, most crushing defeats. But looking back, like when you track like the path of what got us to here. Like you're like, oh well, it couldn't have happened without that bad thing and, and this bad moment and this rejection, and it. So it's you know you never for the people that are still like, you know, trying to make it like you never know which thing is the stepping stone because they all feel the same and you know there's no clear path and and it's wild the things that wind up being, you know, incredibly important. 
for your career or the things that come back around or the people who come back into your life that yeah. you hadn't thought about in years and years and years and suddenly they're like hey i remember that script i read of yours 15 years ago i always loved it now we have an opportunity on this other thing that happened to us the other day that's mm -hmm. amazing no yeah we just had a general meeting the other day i mean before the strike before the strike. Before the strike. Not the okay. other day. Before know, this was, this we was say the other day. The, the, the other day. It, it was right before the strike because all time has stopped since yeah, the strike correct. began. I get it. Uh, we had this meeting with someone who we had not spoken to in years. Years and years and years. And, and she started the meeting being like, that Harvard zombie massacre script, I still remember it. And and we were stunned. We couldn't believe it. But so you never know. Like she was quoting like scenes from that script, and <laughs> no one even, no one has mentioned that script in years. I don't even remember suddenly, the script. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, yeah. truly, like. So again, it's it's just you never know, kind of like what is going to stick in somebody's brain and and yeah. how they perceive you and and the opportunities that they're ultimately going to, you know, present to you many years later and and so from the time that we graduated from the time to the time that we got that initial job on 1600 pen i think it was about six years you know it took mm -hmm. a while you know and and now six years doesn't seem so long but at the time you know i was teaching like after school help at a at a korean academy on van ness you know kumon at, is that what it's not called? at kumon no at a, it was called the major plus academy okay and it was major you know, plus it was so if you you know and and i was helping kids all the way from kindergarten to like 12th grade you know like just with whatever homework that they needed help with or you know like projects you know grammar dioramas whatever the case happened to be <laughs> and so i did that for like a pretty long time and benji was tutoring sat because mm -hmm. he is smart and <laughs> the benji did you wait blah, blah, blah. did you get a 1600 on the sat i did not get a okay because he, dan pearl who was in my year at our high school yeah did. so i didn't know if you what you were alluding to was no 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 no, no. genius i mean close uh, you probably got pretty close no i was like a 1490 or something i would have killed that's, that's incredible. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn good. What about you? <laughs> I believe I got a, I want to say a 1360. I was a 1220. Dan, Dan can't do math. I can't do math. Okay. <clears throat> I have, so I really like. Right. Not, I think not your, just, your, your, your reading was, was an 800. My right? reading was excellent. My yeah. algebra, <laughs> very poor. <laughs> I got a perfect on the math. That's pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. That's good for you, cool. Benj. Yeah. Um, no, I, I literally, my 12th, Great. In 12th grade, I had a class called Math Analysis, which is a euphemism for your dumbass. <laughs> and I, I remember one night in Math Analysis, my homework paper, like, like, you know, you get those homework sheets. It's like, here's your worksheet. It was on addition. And then the next <laughs> night, it was on subtraction. But like really hard addition. It was well, like 100 plus 14. Oh, you know? so I remember. And then the night after was multiplication. The night after was division. And I remember thinking to myself, Actually, I'm where I need to be. Actually, this is right because I suck at math. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce around a little bit. Yeah, bounce. Uh, was Adam's Family Two the first big animated movie that got produced for you guys? Like where you were credited as the writers? Yeah, animated movie. Yes, yeah. we had done I mean, Detective Pikachu prior. Okay, so I just my timeline was off. Okay, so then let's let me ask you about Pikachu for a moment. Yes, beloved property, everybody loves. 
world fucking global phenomenon. To just get in that room, is it a bake off? Like, how do you even get to go pit? Like, what? Take me through this experience well, a little that, bit. This is this is a perfect example yeah. of what I was saying of like uh, a career uh, seemingly, you know, seeming disappointment, failure, upset, uh, actually proved to be a good thing. Which so, um, you know, at one point we were, we wrote a movie. Um, at Paramount that was being produced by Mary Parent. Uh, it was an original comedy. Uh, and, and it was, it was great. We, we, we were happy. It seemed like, like everyone was excited about it. We're going to make this movie. It's, uh, it's good. It was good. It was good. They were starting to talk about locations and this and that, and, you know, make a plan and casting and things. And then one day out of the blue, we got a call from uh from Mary Parent and her company and saying uh hey I'm I'm leaving my deal at Paramount I'm going to go run Legendary and so all my movies at Paramount are dead and it was very that was a tough hit it was that a was tough hit tough hit uh she was like you know love you guys love this but you know Gotta gotta, go. gotta 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 yeah, do we what got, I gotta I mean, do. We understood, yeah, obviously. Yeah. You know, like. And she was, you know, and so uh, then, like, fast forward a year, um, and we see that you know, Legendary and Mary Parent are doing Detective Pikachu, just like in an, and we were like, oh man, that would have been a good one for us. Would have uh, loved to have a crack at it. Yeah. Yep. Um. And then, you know, as as fate would have it, you know, they they reached a point when they were developing it and trying to crack the story and figure out what to do that they needed to consult with writers who are nerds, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> like, Get me the biggest nerds in Hollywood. Get me Hernandez and, and Simon and on the they, bottom. They, <laughs> they liked working with us, and they had, you know... Um, yeah, we had a, such a great experience with them before that they brought us in to see what we thought. And was uh, it another case where they were like, "What's wrong with this movie?" And you were like, "This is how we would fix it." It was still early okay. enough that they had not even fully cracked what, what it was. they wanted. Like they knew that it was going to be based off this video game that was Detective Pikachu, uh, and that game had not come out. In America, it was not even translated. Like we got like a rough translation of the video game script. Yeah, that made it that made it challenging when it was we, we couldn't even. It was all theoretical on a script of a video game. But it was like a very simple game that did not have like you know uh, a cinematic narrative to it. Or it had a lot of cool parts. Yeah, and like a lot of and the character was fun and it was a great idea. Yeah. But but it wasn't something that was that you could take one to one and say. This, you know, we'll just do exactly what's in the game for the movie. Right. And so we sort of came in and, you know, brought a bunch of big ideas of, of, you know, not only things like which Pokemon to even put in the movie when there's 800 of them to choose from, but also just like what the themes should be, what the character arc should be, how can we turn this thing into a movie. And I think uh, they appreciated that we knew Pokemon and, and could talk, uh, 
about it for hours on end and 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 help them craft this movie with with them and the director and uh yeah and so that you know it came from yeah one of the the biggest disappointments of our career suddenly turned into i mean if we had to pick one thing in our entire career that sort of was the game changer for us like i mean beyond like getting the first staff job which is also a big one but like writing detective pikachu was the thing that sort of changed everything like having a movie that actually got produced yeah um and, and a, a big movie at that and the people loved and right yeah and, and that didn't dollars. that didn't suck yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's always helpful yeah. um and so from there the other you, uh, nice thing about that is because that movie was a hybrid like animation live action sort of thing uh it kind of opened doors for us in both animation and live action like animation companies wanted to meet with us and talk to us because it was you know enough of it was animated and whimsical enough that they could see that we could do that but then it's still you know it being live action at the end of the day still kept those like it didn't pigeonhole us into one or the other um which and, we were excited you know we, we'd always wanted and so yeah to so that animation. sort of led right into adam's family too and uh well hold on a second benji because yeah. I, I remember a very cute picture of the two of you on the carpet for pikachu <laughs> and because this is such a fucking thankless job that we do i just want to ask you what it felt like the night of that premiere to get suited up to be with your best friend to walk the red carpet you it know was, and to do the thing you know that you was, set out to do it was insane i mean that premiere was in new york so they flew us out first class and not just and in New York. It was in. It Times was in Square. the. It was in the middle of Times Square. Was the was, was the yellow carpet the, yeah, or whatever it was, um, and I mean that was, like, you know, and we had wrote that we wrote the movie like at the beginning, so like we weren't really around involved in production, uh, or things like that. We wrote it before Ryan Reynolds was even attached to it so we actually met ryan so for we, the first time on the yellow <laughs> well carpet. so that was one yeah that's one of the surreal things is like we were on the carpet doing pictures or whatever and ryan reynolds comes up to us and says well like, i said hi i uh, we're, we're yeah we said like we're oh we're we're, we're dan and benji like we wrote and he says i know who you are because actually he said i know <laughs> <laughs> And so there, it was, a, and there's we, that moment. Thankfully, actually, is documented. Like there's a picture of the moment that we met Ryan, and 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 it was great. And now we're we've you know prior to strike, you know we've been we've been working with his company, and and you know it's just been yeah, it's just been it, it was a really special night, and especially for me, having lived in New York, and you know I, at the time that I was living in New York, I was, like I was saying, I was doing a lot of fiction, I was doing a lot of acting, I was doing a lot of playwriting. And I think that there was some feeling on the part of my New York friends when I left theater and doing sort of experimental theater and things like that, that I was, you know, we were kind of joking about, oh, Dan sold out. But I, I think those people actually really did feel that way, like in kind of a, now I realize that I think some of it was born out of like, they didn't want their friend to leave, yeah. but I think it was couched in what a sellout he's going to go to hollywood he's going to make this shit so for me the fact that the the day you know the premiere was in the heart of times square this place that i had left somewhat not acrimoniously but not didn't have like a hundred percent good feelings about leaving and i was able to come back and feel like oh you know what i did what i set out to do and now in the most 
famous location, maybe in America, like in the heart of Times Square, here I am for my movie premiere. Ben made me up my, you know, our movie premiere. And that that's a really special memory. And it's 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 something that unfortunately our our subsequent two movie premieres have been canceled because of COVID and the strike, respectively. So so far we've only had the one movie premiere. So mm-hmm. we're hoping to someday get to go to another one. <laughs> Did you guys take your wives to that premiere or were you guys just just the two of you? boyfriend writing uh, i took my wife but you're Ma- my wife megan was pregnant at the time and sort of not so pregnant that it was a problem for me to leave but pregnant enough that it yeah maybe wasn't a good idea for her to try i think that that when was that period like late march early march something like that mm-hmm. and my daughter was born in early june i so, was I, yeah. yeah i was just hoping that you guys got to like have a sleepover in like the soho grand and then get dressed we, together <laughs> they put us in a swanky hotel and it was it was you know, but it is. It is. I mean, that was part of it. It was like, oh, here are your first class tickets, which I never had a first class ticket in my life. Like, it was like, oh, here's a first class ticket to go back to New York. Right. Madeline, this- Madeline was also pregnant, my wife. Oh, yeah, but, she was. But she was just not as far along. She was not pregnant. quite as yeah. pregnant. So, so I guess in a way, your daughter attended the premiere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Um, so it, it was a really, it was a really great moment, and it was one that we'll always remember. And a lot of our friends were able to come and. And celebrate with us and and i'm really proud of that movie and i think even subsequently i think that movie's reputation has in my opinion like only gotten better over time i think that people have found it subsequently and and people really love it and it makes me really happy whenever i get to to feel like we actually accomplished what we set out to do it's a cool thing yeah you did that's why you're here because nobody else is shining a light on these beautiful moments but your boy uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to talk to you guys about because I just saw Ninja Turtles, it's amazing. Congratulations to you guys! Thank you, Thank you fucking much. geniuses. <laughs> um, how did you guys get involved in the Ninja Turtles project? So that was one where, you know, we. Oh, Figment! Figment! Figment is how. Yeah. So the Figment, Figment the Dragon from Epcot. We are, you know, pre pre strike. We were working on developing that into a feature with Seth um, and, and all his, you know, and, you know, and everyone at Point Grey and Evan. And, you know, we had just had a really good, I mean, that and that started, like we met them just because we had an idea for a figment movie that we brought to Disney and wanted to do it with, with Seth. And they're like, Oh, we'll put you in touch with his people. And, and Seth liked it. And, and so that, that went from there. And so, we were working. We were in the middle of working on Figment when uh, they needed help with Ninja Turtles, and originally we were just going to help a little, but then it turned into a bigger thing where we spent um, a lot of time working on it with Seth and Evan and the director Jeff uh, and um, and everyone at Point Grey and and just, yeah, like it just one of those things like getting a call like hey do you guys want to work on ninja turtles and it's just like yeah yes <laughs> yeah, yes I, please that's was, what i want to ask where were you when you got that call because that is i mean pikachu to other people is more important than ninja turtles to me ninja turtles is like god level and it was for us too i mean that that was one that was on our shared sort of bucket list I feel like it was like right before the holiday it was break. it was just before christmas what a about gift. two and, years ago yeah, and they, and they were like, 
I actually thought they were calling to yell at us for not writing the Figment script fast enough. So <laughs> right, I right. we thought it was a call like where where are our pages? Because I remember because I got the call before you did, Benji, for whatever reason. Because I was I think whatever they couldn't get a hold of you, and so they called me. And I remember I was in my playroom with my dog, like the by playroom I mean my living room that has been we put a fence up <laughs> you know, like, yeah, to totally. prevent baby escapes. But so we were in like the kids you know play area, and. I was like, I saw the, you know, Point Grey. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I don't I don't even have a good reason why it is going so slow. Like, just, you know, whatever. Some, you know, yeah. some scripts take longer. So I sort of answered it with some trepidation. of like, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm slammed. <laughs> I might have even, like, led with that. <laughs> but then, then they said, oh, you know, um, well, you know, there's this Ninja Turtles thing. Like, would you guys, like, ever think about doing that? I was like... Yeah, let me. Um, they, they were like, "Do you guys know Ninja Turtles?" And we're like, "Who's calling you, Weaver, McAtee, uh, Lucas, Seth, Lucas, Evan, Lucas Williams?" Actually, at, okay. at Point Grey was the first person to call us. He was a great guy and a, a great exec. Um, and so Lucas called us, and and uh, then I called you, and I was like, "Hey, Benji, I know that we mm-hmm. said that we were filled up, and we had just had a conversation right. about like we are at our absolute maximum capacity for working on things. Like we were running, a, you know, we were running Qualman. We were doing the Figment movie. We were doing some other things. Like, you know, we were doing a ton of stuff. Yeah. And we said, this is it. There's no possible way to take on anything else at this time. And we just have yeah. to accept that and like be cool with that no matter what comes in. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, hey, Benji, they want us to do Ninja Turtles. And he's like, well, we're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, can you guys work on this over Christmas break? And we were like, yes, we can. Uh, yeah, we. I think that's we. That's when we talked to Weaver too. And yeah, it was. Just- I think it helped that because it was one of our god tier properties and one that we both had a shared passion for and really, I think, understand. Yeah. And, and had opinions about and really have a deep affection. Yeah. For what could have been a very daunting task, which is like, hey, you need to write over Christmas, and we need this as you know in a very quick amount of time for various production reasons and blah, blah, blah. And also what seemed like a maybe was going to be a a smaller rewrite turned into a much more expansive. Well, yeah, it was sort of like, yeah, in the middle of us working on it with Seth and Evan and Jeff, like we all just sort of realized that the movie needed to go in a completely different direction. And so we sort of all, you know, uh, pulled our sleeves up and, and really got into it and so like Dan and I were writing pages and Seth was writing pages and it was it was a very uh collaborative process and for this they, one and they did a lot you know yeah. sort of afterwards as well with you know Jeff and Seth and Evan and so like it yeah. really wasn't all hands on deck sort of situation but we were there at, at that moment when it was like oh let's think about this holistically and maybe do something a little different than what we had thought we were going to yeah. do and and so we we bust our ass on that, you know, and it and it was, it was one of the most rewarding work experiences we've ever had. I mean, it it's it, it was really. I'm so proud of how the movie turned out, and I'm so proud that people are seeing the same things and feeling the same way about it. That, it's that it's we did. it's rare to work on something that is, as good if not better than what you hoped it could be yeah. while you were doing it, um, and, you know. Yeah, it's just been very rewarding to Can see. Can I rave to you people. boys about it for please, a moment? Please, please, too. okay. The fact that what we're really caring about is them wanting to be accepted and go to high school 
I thought was such a smart and new and different thing because it's always like, oh, are they going to beat the shredder? Are they going to beat the thing? And like, there's never anything much more than that. You know, like there is in the live action ones in like the early '90s where it's like yeah. very adult, but the thing that where where I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but that end moment with the, I just was like that. That was just so amazing and like to to make them just like want to be kids like you really it was so emotional like truly there were moments of it where my wife who like you know begrudgingly watches all of these things from my childhood and is like you know like i don't really give a shit about ninja turtles or mario or whatever you know i could tell she was very much liking the movie because of the emotionality of it and i mm-hmm. thought that was just such a wonderful way to get people invested in the turtles as opposed to like you know, doing what every other Turtles movie has done and making the stakes really just about whatever villain it was. It was yeah. really about them, you know, becoming adults or teenagers. And, and that was something that Seth felt extremely passionately about and correctly so, and that we all took as sort of the guiding principle of what we were doing, which is these are teenagers and they should have teenage concerns and teenage desires and teenage responses to what is happening. And with that as a guiding principle, it was it was so... It was we were able to write it in such a way that it was still the turtles that everybody knows and loves, and those archetypes. I think one of the things that is powerful about the turtles are those archetypes, and that everyone sort of can naturally gravitate towards, yeah, you know, one of them. But it was a little bit of a different delivery system, and a little bit of a more exactly what you said, a much a more emotional story that was really about like a like a, a want and how to go after that that sort of teenage desire and. And that was really exciting to write because it allowed us to to write them in a way that that was hopefully authentic. And I do think that you know the actors brought an incredible amount to that authenticity because they're young. They actually are teenagers. Like, you know, they're 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 not like forty five year old dudes doing a, a teen. Not Nick Kroll, right? You know, to be and, and no sh- no offense to Nick Kroll, no, who's brilliant. But yeah. you know, these are real young yes, yeah. people, yeah, and, and it's the first time that the franchise has ever really done that of doing all teenagers playing these teens. And so I think just that alone makes it feel fresh and different and special. And Jeff and Seth and Evan, you know, when they were directing them in, you know, in the voice records and things like that, they really encouraged them to go for it, you know, to, to sort of be able to riff off each other, to be able to use actual, you know, as much as you want to be a brilliant writer who can, you know, write a seven, you know, a 14 year old turtle boy, um, I'm almost, I'm 39, you know, it's like, there are things that they no, know it, how to say that I just wouldn't. We're, we are know. also, we're not the precious kind of writers that are like, these are the words I put on paper and these need to be the words. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, even with Detective Pikachu and when Ryan comes in to record Pikachu's line, like he's gonna, he's gonna Ryan Reynolds it. And that's what you want. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we we were thrilled every time he made up a new joke or changed something because it just makes it better. And we're, you know, I think coming from TV also just makes you more open to collaboration yeah. and who's got the best joke. And like that's we're not. Um, yeah, I, I do think I mean, you know, coming from TV, like. Whose name is on the script is not always representative of like, yeah, you know who actually did the bulk of the work or yeah. who contributed the most ideas, but it's sort of immaterial to everyone moving together as a unit to make something great because in success, everybody's going to get great credit for that. And everyone is going to be rewarded for like that 
teamwork. So there are some times when you are integral to cracking some big idea in someone else's episode and you're like, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I don't, you don't, that's actually served us really well in movie writing because I, I think for better or worse, well, for worse, <laughs> movie writers are, I think, not given sort of the benefit of the doubt in the same way that TV writers are. It's TV writers, I think, are given a little bit more autonomy in how they, especially showrunners, you know, like where this is how the show's going to be. This is the tone of the show. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to do a final pass. And as the showrunner, my my final vision of this is what goes. In, in movie writing, that is not the case. Rarely, if ever, unless they are also directing the movie, is the writer sort of the final word of like what is going to show up on the screen. And And some people feel it can be uncomfortable when you know you write a thing and you spend a lot of time writing it and then it changes substantially. Yeah. Coming from TV, you don't have that discomfort in the same way because you're like, ah, whatever, you know, it's like it, it exists because I, on some fundamental level, helped construct this thing. And if it's going to get better through these other additions or if it's gone in a different direction, like that's okay. Sometimes you see changes that you would wrap. Not in Ninja Turtles, I would actually say I don't feel that way about because I actually feel like it's, I, I don't have any notes on the movie. Like I really, truly love it. But in other movies or in other circumstances, you see something, you go, oh, you know, there's a logic problem here that I actually did address on draft three of this movie that, like, over the course of, you know, 50 drafts somehow is, like, gotten sort of filtered out. Yeah, and no, and it's that that's frustrating sometimes when you read, like, a review of your movie that points to a plot hole or something, and you're like, in my draft. It, it was not a plot hole. It was brilliant. <laughs> I plugged that hole. I plugged that hole. So, so you know, it is a different sort of experience of learning to be comfortable with the process of of what at least franchise movie making is. And that's you know, so far the three movies that we've written happen to be big IP, you know, kind of things. It's like there are so many cooks in the kitchen, and there are so many sort of interested parties that have to be taken into account that it's very hard to say like here's the draft of my script and nothing will change like that just is impossible it's it crazy. Won't happen. It's a, yeah it's like a sociopathic so <laughs> yeah right so it, so i think that we've gotten pretty good at sort of learning to navigate within whatever the process is of the of the production that we're working on and i think that's one of the reasons that people like working with us is because for you know ninja turtles adam's family it's like, I know the Adams family. Gomez Adams is sort of like my inner monologue at all times. So it wasn't very hard to yeah. just put that on the page. And so as you go along in your career, I think it actually is, is you know, for people listening, like, it's okay to be an expert on something and to present yourself as such. Maybe not, like, I know everything. But just sort of, like, when we had that Adams family meeting, we were like, they needed it written in a very compressed period of time. And we basically said... You know, there were other people up for the job, and we basically said in the meeting something that we don't normally do. We're like, listen, we're not going to have a bake-off. We're not interested in having a bake-off. But if you want an Adam's Family movie, that's good. Right. We yeah. were like, we know these characters inside and out. We can write you a great movie very quickly, but you just got to hire us. And, and it worked. Good for you. And, and it, it worked. worked. And But it takes a certain amount. You know, obviously, we're in a privileged we were position. Coming from, uh, coming, that was right after Pikachu had come out like we were sort of in a very privileged position to be able to to pull a move like that um 
but it was a good reminder that sometimes it's like you as a writer projecting confidence in mm-hmm. what they're asking you to do that actually gives them confidence. Well, there's a lot. A lot of executives are are you know there's a lot of fear based decisions where they're they're panicking. They're trying to turn in something good to their boss. They're trying to get something made by a certain date or this a certain budget, certain time, and if you come in with a confidence that you can alleviate their fears and be like, no, I got you. I can do this. Just trust me. And if you say it with a confidence, there's a difference between confidence and cockiness. Yep. Yep. Uh, you don't want to be a dick about it. But if you're just like, listen, I know exactly what you need and I can do that for you. Um, but I don't want to play a game to get there. I think, uh, you know, at least a fair share of times, people will listen to you. If you can say that and really, truly be okay with a no, mm-hmm. it's a very powerful thing. Be- and it really puts you in a position where the onus is now on them to be like, we're, yeah. well, you know, I well. Mean, we're, we're fortunate now to be at a place in our careers where, you know, we like to have a lot of different projects going on at once. We like to have multiple shows that we're working on, multiple movies but when you know, and it's a lot of work, and it's exhausting, and sometimes we're like, "How, you know, what are we doing to ourselves?" But when you have a bunch of things going on, it makes it suddenly makes it so no one thing is so important that like you can, you know, sacrifice your own principles to to do it. Like you know, we were able to say that, like you know. We were able to to put that out there, and it wasn't a bluff because, yeah, if they had said no, then we'd be like, okay, fine, we have these other things that we're working on. We'll be okay without it. Um, I'm glad they said yes because it was a lot of fun yeah. to get to write. No, we <laughs> wanted it. Whenever we're up for anything, we want the job. Um, we've been a little bit more discerning and able to really try. We've had, a so far, a pretty good ratio of evaluating, like, a, is this a project that we really, truly feel passionately about and that we really think we could do a good job on rather than sometimes, and you, and you know this, like sometimes people will come to you with a marginal idea that you're like, well, maybe I'm smart enough to like make it good. And the truth is 99% of the time, you're not smart enough to make it something that but, sort of in its DNA is yeah, and I, and I Yeah, and I do think that some of that is also something that comes with success and having the privilege to be able to say yes or no to things like you know sure. we definitely went through years where it was just like whatever gig we got is the gig we're gonna do like you know whether we like it or not or whether we feel like this thing will actually get made someone is offering us money to write we're gonna we're gonna do this it. this is how you write multiple sex scenes and right. <laughs> um, to DVD. once once we became a little more established we started to be able uh to be a bit pickier when things get sent to us like instead of just saying yes right away it turned into like is this actually a thing that's going to get made is this can this be good um and so we can be a little choosier now um discerning discerning yes i think one of the things that you hone over time is is your taste and it's funny how many meetings we've gone to sort of general meetings or meetings with executives where they go I, well you wrote pikachu and you wrote ninja turtles and Family, but what do you really want to write 
and, I'd be like, and a lot uh, of, and we're like, uh, well, actually, we're kind of writing exactly what we want to write. We really enjoy writing big franchise yeah, movies. We don't have a a secret, you know, indie drama that like we really are dying to do now that we have, you know, the success. Like this, this is what we like doing. We like writing big, fun things. Um, you guys so, are you yeah. guys are good at it. The, the, but Dan, I didn't want to cut you off. You were going to say something. Oh, I forgot. It doesn't matter. The last thing I'll ask you before I get you out of here is when you guys are like, fuck, we have to figure out from scratch, whether it's Pikachu, Adam's Family, Ninja Turtles, whatever. Mm-hmm. What is your guys' process for like, we got to fucking crack a Pikachu movie? Like, what's your like step one to even like attack something? Just like we sit together and talk it through and, the and just uh, keep trying to, to, you know, come up with a better idea, find plot holes, look for issues with it, and just just lots of conversation, both sitting in person talking, continuing it via text. We have basically a 24-7 text thread that is, if we're not physically together, we're texting each other into late at night thinking about this stuff. Even to the extent that like, if I, if I lose track of him for like an hour, I'm like... Where the fuck are you? <laughs> are you guys on Find My Friends? Because you should be. No, no. I think that would be one step too far <laughs> okay. for Benji. I would I would do it, but I would all I would just <laughs> but I think that I think Benji I think that might be yeah. one step too far a bridge too far. But I would also say one of the things that we really truly do think about, and I think that we've worked with companies that don't feel this way at all, but we feel quite the opposite, is we really say, What is this movie about? That's the first step. What is what what the fuck are we talking about? Detective Pikachu, like what? What is that? We, yeah, we like to come up with a, a theme, a concept, a, a, like a just a guiding principle. A guiding principle of, of what you know, we're doing. In, I, and I and I got this from Winston Churchill wrote a six volume history of World War II after very shortly after World War II because he thought he was going to be reelected prime minister and he wasn't. So he had at that time. So he had planned to like write this this history like much later in his life, but because he lost the election, he ended up writing it much sooner, like very shortly after World War II. And at the beginning of each of the volumes, he has a little thing that says theme of volume, where he really encapsulates what this chunk of the history of World War II is, a, is, is like in his opinion, it's like a one sentence sort of summation of like the, you know, what he's writing about. And I remember reading that in, must've been like high school and thinking, Oh, that's really useful. That's a really useful organizational tool, not only for the people who are about to read this like very dense sort of in-depth history, but also for us as writers, because it's like, so I will occasionally, literally on, on documents that we turn in the studio, I will do exactly what Winston Churchill did, and I'll write theme of document, you know, theme of outline, theme of movie, and really try to boil it down. And you know, in the case of Pikachu, we really felt like it was about evolution and evolving as people and as creatures, and and sort of physicalizing that in in these Pokemon. And and we well, because we were sort of like, well, what is the thing that makes Pokemon unique? Like, what is special about? I mean, there's a lot of things that are special about the the property, but the thing that first stood out to it was the concept of evolution. That like all of these creatures can evolve into bigger more fantastical versions of themselves and so we were just like let's take that concept and run with it and, and apply and, it to the humans apply it to the humans yeah and see if that's true and see how we can complicate that and how what are you know what's like a good a positive version of evolution and a negative version of evolution in the case of the villain and blah 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 
So for us, that that's where it always has to start because I can't even if I don't know what we're like, <laughs> if I don't know like sort of philosophically what we're trying to accomplish, it's very difficult for me to write a movie. Yeah, it's a little easier in TV because you don't have to necessarily tie up every single loose end. But in a right but TV, a, you can do more like let's just have fun with these funny characters. But a movie is a closed circuit. It really mm-hmm. is, and it has to be in order for it to be a good movie. Not to say you can't have a you know a, a little teaser at the end, Marvel style. Of course you can, but but Says really, the man wearing the Marvel shirt. Well, I am wearing. My, <laughs> well, I can fit back into this shirt now after my. You look good. My weight loss journey. Dan but, does look good. That's another. We're gonna do another hour on his weight loss. Yes, journey. it's going great, guys. But <laughs> I'm hotter than ever. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so th- th- that for us is where it must start, at least in in movie writing, because once you have like locked in, or kind of like what Seth was saying about we're really writing them as teenagers, and mm-hmm. we're, we're writing about teenage desire. Bam, right. They the just, whole they want to be. They want to be accepted. That's they want to be accepted in a very teenage kind of way, in an immature, sort of still learning about the world kind of way. Okay, now I know exactly what we're doing. I know the end point of what we're doing. I know emotionally what we have to, you know, sort of the, the, the peaks and valleys of that. And, and I think, I, I, I really do feel like it's so helpful to even for yourself just write down one sentence. Like, what is this about? And we've worked with companies that are like, no, no, no. The only thing that matters are like set pieces and how you string them together. And you can write that way, and we are capable of writing that way. But it's not our. We don't like writing that way because it it feels very inorganic, and it feels like you're stringing. It feels like you're stringing well, things. What together. leads to you know everyone I'm sure has seen movies where it feels disjointed, like yeah. a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and it's because a lot of the time there's not a unifying. Content. And we're not one of those, and, and that kind of goes back to what we were saying before. You know, in these big movies, there's other writers who are working on it. Like, you know, there were other writers who worked on Pikachu, a lot of other writers. But we set the tone with our draft, and ultimately, which is why we got the credit that we did, because we really did have a philosophy. And we think that anything that was then added to the movie to make it better was within the parameters of that philosophy. I think that some people sometimes don't understand. You know, I, it's one of my pet peeves when I read movie reviews that are like, oh, there are six writers on this movie. And I'm always like, do you just not understand how like big movie making works? Not everything is, is an auteur vision. And I would love it if we could, you know, if it was just like a Dan and Benji joint that we like, but that's not really how it works, especially on the biggest things. So the amount of writers on a movie to me is immaterial. What is material is are all of those people pulling in the same direction. No different than a writer's room on a TV show. If everybody is pulling in the same direction and if everybody understands what the philosophy of your, what you're trying to accomplish is, then you can have 10 writers, 20 writers in the movie. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You're still working toward the same goal. I think it's when you have disparate people with disparate ideas about what a movie should be. That's when you start to get a Frankenstein. Yeah. And that's when you start to be like, this movie feels like it was written by committee because it was. But not that writing by committee is necessarily in and of itself a pejorative thing. Yeah. So it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's like a bit of a nuanced distinction, but it's something that I've thought a lot about of late because I've seen these reviews. Like, oh, six screenwriters. And I'm like, you don't understand actually how these movies are put together. And I wish sometimes that people did have a, like a sort of a more robust understanding of that. Guys, is there anything else you want to say? What is the most embarrassing shared high school moment 
I mean, I was are. so obnoxious. I'm sure Benji can. He was very obnoxious. I, yeah. I, that, that sounds right. I was I class, remember, bro. I was student body, bro. You go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. You, you were, when I, you were vice president, right? When I was. I don't remember. Junior year, I was vice president. Yeah. And senior year, I was student because body I, But president. that's when I was, uh, when you were junior, I was, I was, I was a senior. And so. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Zach was president, right? Yeah. yeah. Zach. Love that guy. So what was the most embarrassing? <laughs> wacky thing? I, I, no, I just... There's I, just too many. I think, I think, you know what I think is embarrassing? You were a very wacky vice president. <laughs> I remember that. What I think is embarrassing about your high school from afar is that you called your teachers by your first name, by their first names. That's a good thing. And yeah. I think that that's really... Really? Weird. Why do you want? Do you do you, do you, do you go around calling people Mister and Have, Mrs.? Show a little respect. Do you go into <laughs> Mister Rogan when Mr. you go Rogan. into? Yeah, you say Miss. Excuse me, Mister Rogan. I excuse would. me. Excuse me, Mister Iger. I, I <laughs> when I go me. when I hang out with Mister Iger, <laughs> which I do often on the yacht. On the yacht. If you widen out in that picture of Bob reading the script on his chaise lounge on the three hundred milli yacht, Dan is just mm-hmm. just nearby. I just think it's odd. I think it's odd. I think most people in America would find it odd, and I think it's you, 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 LA liberals. I don't know. You picked one of them to be your partner for life, so yeah. clearly just, we did something right. Maybe I'm just jealous. Yeah, I think you're be. jealous. Maybe I'm jealous that I had to. We call also it. we didn't have to pledge allegiance to the flag. I think that's right. And we had a debate about a skeleton. Were you there for that too? The skeleton debate, some dumb thing about whether uh-huh. to have like a fucking. No, I was there. I, I remember the flag debate. Yeah. The flag debate was quashed the second 9/11 happened. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, at boys, for coming. At least we finished on a positive note. We ended on 9-11. Yeah, but dude, seriously, thank you for all of the wonderful content that you have brought and joy to me, my family, and the world uh, the world abroad. Because, you know, a lot of people could fuck up uh, in any other hands. Like, that Ninja Turtle movie could have been dog shit. And it was a fucking 10-10-10 across the board. Well, thank you very well, much. thank you. I really appreciate it. We, did it, we did it for you. We did it for you. Oh, shut the fuck up you did it for, you know you know what i'm not gonna say this you did it for a version of me because you did it for yourselves and that's the children that we were watching that original that's cartoon true. saturday that, morning that is actually true but we, mostly for you but mostly for you <laughs> specifically well thank you guys for coming to laurel canyon i i adore you and thank you for doing this yeah well, it was our pleasure of course thanks dude.